What do you really need? When you're asked that question, you may immediately go to the physical needs. Uh, something like food, water, shelter, clothing. <laughs> and of course, you know, we have to expand that a little bit because, you know, there are some things that we need besides that. We need, you know, good sanitation. We need education, health care, internet. Oh, couldn't live without internet. And of course, there's the luxuries, a couple of cars, maybe a motorcycle, <laughs> air conditioning. You better have air, air conditioning. And of course, Sirius FM. And then Zoom. Where would we be today without Zoom? Seriously, we have to have that. And so the needs that we have seem to grow, don't they? they uh, there's so many things uh, that we think of when someone asks, what do you need? But as Christians, as those of us who uh, have looked to the scripture and we start looking at the things that really matter, maybe our mind can turn spiritually. The Lord said, <clears throat> the Heavenly Father knows that you need these things, these physical things. And as he was walking along the road, he would, he would point over to the lilies and he'd say, consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil. They don't reap. They don't, you know, make barns and they don't do these things. They are taken care of. And Solomon, with all of his money, couldn't have a closet like that. And the sparrows, the birds of the air, what, who takes care of them? Well, God. And so we have to look past the physical if we can. That's the trick, isn't it? Because we often just focus on the physical. We've been in a situation where we're locked down, we're in sheltering in place and all that, and we, we think of our physical needs. And it's fascinating to me to watch the shelves on in the store, you know, get empty of certain things. It's like, that's for really what we need? <laughs> yep. But as we think past those physical and start to think spiritually, is there a particular system that perfectly is adapted to the, the basic spiritual needs of mankind? Is there something available to us? Is there a body of information that gives us this list? See, Jesus came and he said, this is why I was born. This is what I came into the world for, to testify to the truth. And this particular body of information gives us this information. Now, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew reminds us of an incident where John, the immerser, is arrested, he's put in jail, and he sends his apostles, he sends those that were following him, his disciples, and he says, go find out from this Jesus character, this Lamb of God, go find out if he's the one or if I should expect another, because there was a certain uh, edict from God himself to John, and, he, and John says, I've got to fulfill this mission and I need to know if I need to break out of jail. I need to know. And Jesus says this in, in John chapter 11. He says, you go tell John what you hear and see. John or Matthew 11, verse 5, the blind 
receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Jesus tells his uh, John's followers, go back and tell them, this is what we've seen and heard. And based on all this evidence, you would think that the entire world would turn to Jesus. And yet, Jesus basically blisters several cities. Uh, there in John chapter 11, he said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Tyre, or uh, uh, Capernaum. If these miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they'd have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And woe to you, Capernaum, uh, you shall descend to Hades. And miracle, if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, they'd have remained to this day. A, a blistering condemnation of, of those who rejected Jesus. They said, we don't need Jesus. And of course, we do. <laughs> but in spite of the rebellion, in spite of their open antagonism against Jesus, against the one that could supply all of our needs, in spite of that, Jesus offers the perfect invitation. He said, you know what you need. God knows what you need. I know what you need. Now come to me. There in Matthew 11, verse 25, he said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you did hide these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for this it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my load is light." What a great invitation. And when we look into these little words, a part of this invitation, he says something about a yoke. And we go back in our history and we uh, go back before the tractor. There were the horses. Before the horses, there were the oxen. And these beasts of burden supplied some particular needs of their generation. And you could attach a yoke to a couple of beasts and actually get them to do the work for you. These yokes were made out of wood. A carpenter would build these yokes. Uh, later in our, in our history, back in the wild, wild west, uh, these yokes were covered in leather. And there was a reason for that. They, they would fit better. And so these yokes, they used to be custom made to the animal. The carpenter would spend days making sure that they fit perfectly well. Why? Because the beast of burden, if it was hurting to have this yoke, they wouldn't do the work. But if it fit nicely, they would just walk on and, and do what they were asked to do. Maybe pull a plow or pull a reaper or some kind of device. And they would actually make the work of the farmer easier. Well, Jesus says, 
there's something about this that applies to us spiritually. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. This yoke is, is perfectly designed by the creator who created you, and it fits perfectly to your situation. And what's interesting about a yoke, it's generally attached to two animals. There was the older, wiser, the one that had been working for some time, and the younger, who hadn't been working. And the older would actually do most of the work and train the younger. And as they went along, pretty soon the younger was, was the pro and could do the same thing. Train another generation. Jesus says, attach yourself to me, my yoke. I'll be the one carrying the heavy load. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll supply the needs that you crave. He says, you attach yourself to me, and then we'll get to work. Huh. My yoke, he says, will attach you to me, and then he says, it's easy. Well, maybe a better word there, instead of easy, would be <clears throat> pleasant, or loving, or patient. All of those words are combined in that word easy in the original language. The yoke of Christ offers a well-adapted piece of equipment that's fit to the recipient, to the individual. And he says, it's pleasant. My yoke is easy. And he says, come to me. And so Jesus offers this invitation and he says, I want you to think past the physical. I want you to think past the physical to the spiritual. The apostles had the same problem. They they went up on that mount after after 50 days of uh, maybe 40. There was some time after his resurrection and Jesus has ascended to heaven. And he, they say, is it now that you're going to establish the kingdom? No, it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. So don't feel bad if all you think about is your are your physical needs because exactly the same thing happened to the apostles, those that were closest to the Lord while he walked on earth as man. Jesus says, I want you to think past the physical. I want you to think about your needs spiritually. Every person, every person's need is wonderfully supplied in that body of truth which Jesus Christ came to testify to. This is the reason I was born. This is the reason I came to this earth to testify to the truth. Now, I want us to think about some things that we really need. Oh, way past Zoom, way past internet, way past food and water, way past all the physical. Let's talk about things that are really important. Every person has a sense of dignity and needs a sense of personal worth. We've been told and taught that this is described as self-esteem. And there are many in our world today that view themselves as worthless. In our society, since January 1st of 2020, there have been over 28,000 suicides. What? How could you get to that point? What do you really need? You need a, a vision of yourself as worthy and 
It's sad that suicide continues to be a leading cause of death. It's horrible. How is that even possible? Through this body of truth that Jesus gives us, gives us a sense of value. We, men and women, are the offspring of God. We've been created in the image of God. What? He is our father. We are his children. And he created everything in this world, in this universe, for us. And you've been taught somehow that you're not worthy? What? No, God says, I love you so much. I sent my son to die in your place. I want a relationship with you and I want to build you up. There's something about each one of us. We have personal worth. Psychiatrists and psychologists will call it self-esteem. Oh, it's important to have a proper view of ourself. The Bible says, I'll give you that proper view. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This body of truth also gives us something that many people look for and fail to find, a sense of purpose. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Am I just an animal? Is it really what we're taught? Survival of the fittest? We can't live in a society like that. No. We have a purpose that's beyond that. If our only purpose is to sleep and eat, wow. No goal, no design. Philosophers have wrestled with this question, why am I here? Attempting to answer this question and have failed miserably. Look at some of their answers. There's no purpose in life. There is. God says, I'll give you a purpose. Christ came to show that man's purpose and his ultimate happiness can be found in serving God. Remember what the the wise man said of old? He said, when all is said and done, here's the conclusion. After I've tried everything, I've tried riches, I've tried poverty, I've tried sex, I've tried food, I've tried clothing, I've tried everything to provide the happiness, the purpose in life. And you know what he said after he tried everything? He said, fear God, keep his commandments. That's the purpose of, of mankind. Fear God and keep his commandments? Yep. Now we have a purpose. What does it mean? What does it look like to fear God? Well, let's see. We start by looking at the scripture by his revelation, by this special book, and we start looking in there and we say, what do you, what do you want, God? What must I do? Is there anything I must do? Yep, he says there's plenty, and I'll give you a reason to live. I'll give you a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I'll give you a reason and a purpose in life, a sense of purpose. Christianity fits the bill. It provides what we really need. And with this privilege, 
comes something else. With this privilege, we now have a responsibility. <clears throat> From the very beginning, mankind has been charged with uh, a directive from God. He said, I want you to tend the garden. That was the very first thing that Adam was required to do in Genesis 2, verse 15. This was before the fall. We always think of the fall as, oh, I got to go to work now. Well, Adam, before he and Eve sinned, he had to go to work. No, he got to. <laughs> it was a privilege. It was an honor. It was a responsibility. And when we understand that, when we realize that everything we do in word and deed should be to the glory of God, Colossians 3, verse uh, 17, he says, this is the reason that I want you here. You have a responsibility. A child of God will have a sense of genuine satisfaction when, when we go to work. We work for Christ. Oh, sure, there's a boss. There's someone that's in charge. Oh, sure, there's a paycheck. Oh, sure, all of that's coming. But if I go to work with this attitude that I'm working as if for the Lord, that changes everything. You see, Solomon discovered that if I only work for what's here on this earth, if I just work so I can fill my garage and my attic with stuff, have the boat and the camper and the bike and the, that's it? That's your existence? Solomon would say, that's vanity. I don't know. But now I have a responsibility. I have a purpose on this earth to fear God, keep his commandments, and to share that information with others and get that body of truth into the minds and hearts of others. And the only way to do that is to talk to them or send them information or, or, or teach them. And he says, that responsibility now gives us this purpose. And he says, not only does it give us that purpose, not only does it give us a reason to, to exist, now I'm free from guilt. One of the greatest, best arguments for the existence of God is this sense of morality. What I ought to do. In every society, there's right and wrong. The atheist, the agnostic, the skeptic, they'll throw that in our face and they'll say something like, if there's a God, why does he allow a virus to take over the world? Or at least 1% of it. <laughs> if there's a God, why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow all these bad things and evil to exist? And you can stop them right there and say, what's your standard? What makes something good or evil? That's a Christian-based information. That's Christian-based. That's God-based. If we are surviving because we're fittest, if we are just animals with no purpose, there's no such thing as good and evil. Throw that back at them. Good and evil belong with God. He determines what's good and what's evil. So then the question is, how do I get rid of the guilt? If I, if I know what I ought to do and I don't do it and I feel guilty because I'm not doing it, 
How do I get rid of that? And you can try as hard as you want. You can try to undo all the wrongs that you've ever done. One can only know true freedom from guilt. When we receive genuine pardon from the only one capable of giving us genuine pardon, the moral ruler of the universe through this faith system that's found only in Christ. We are justified and we have peace with God because we've done what God asks us to do. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. What, what are you heavy laden with? Guilt. He says, I can scrub that. Baptism now saves you. What does it do, Peter? What does this public dipping in water do for me? Well, it eliminates the guilt. It clears the conscience, he says. And this provides hope. Oh, in the original, back in the first century, the Greeks, the Romans, there wasn't very much hope. The highest remains, Socrates lamented, never to be brought to life. Hope is an uncertain good, is what Seneca would say. (laughs) There was no hope. The question then becomes, is there really any hope? For those outside a relationship with Christ, there is no hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, this was your situation before. Now here's your situation after. But before there's no hope. You were an alien. You were separated from God without him. Only a fearful expectation of judgment. The Christian's hope, on the other hand, is grounded in the historical work of Christ. There are no, there's no other religion on the, in the world, on earth, that can provide this type of hope. Everybody wants it, but it's only available through Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He goes on to say in John chapter 14, If you want access to the Father, if you want access to eternal life, if you want access to heaven, he says, you come through me. Why? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have the direction. You need a map to get there? Yep. You come through me, Jesus says. You want life? Yeah, I want life. I want life after this one. This one has been rather difficult. Yep, everyone's struggled. Everyone's having trouble. Our needs aren't met. And when you come to that realization, you say, well, how do I get there? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I have the information you need. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And as children of God, when we come together in unity, based on the word of God, based on this information, he says, now you can gain acceptance. You're part of a family. Oh, maybe your father, maybe your mother, maybe they have uh, put all sorts of bad things into your life. Maybe you can go to your psychiatrist and you can sit there for an hour and blame your parents for everything. Okay. 
But God says, I've created a group of people. I have allowed them to exist and they will be there for you. You gain acceptance into this family. When God says, or when Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? He goes, well, love God, keep his commandments, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love him. And what was the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that's where we come into the picture. This relationship that we have with others becomes very important. Having a relationship with others Jesus says, that's why I wanna, want you to meet once a week. That's why I want you to remember my death once a week. That's why I want you to come together and sing. That's why I want you to come together and pray together and, and be concerned about your fellow man. I want you to do this every week and then go out into the world and spread this information to others. He says, I've given you a purpose. I've given you hope. I've given you all of this, this, this spiritual needs, the freedom from guilt, the sense of purpose, your self-esteem now you have something to do. Now, there's something bigger than yourself. Now, these physical needs suddenly take a back seat. God knows you need food and clothing, water. He, he knows that. He knows you need internet. <laughs> he knows you need Zoom for Pete's sake. He knows that. He says, now do something that will make a difference. Do something spiritual. All these other things will take care of themselves. They will. Oh, we do our little part, but God says, I'll do the heavy lifting. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will lift you up. I will provide those needs. Do you trust him? That's the question. Do you trust him? Are you worried about all the things that are going on in the world this isn't the first time. This won't be the last time. Every time, God says, I'm in control. I got this. You do your part. You let me do the heavy lifting because I'm the one you're yoked to. I'm the one that's actually pulling the plow. I'm the one doing the work and you're going to be with me. And I says, and Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Do what I do. Now, I have a purpose. Now my life makes sense. Oh, this is beautiful. Come to me. What a great invitation. The nerve of the man to say, I can do all of that. Oh, he's more than a man. He's God. He is God and man. Try to wrap your mind around that. We've been trying to wrap our mind around that for 21 centuries. And most of us have failed. We have to just accept that as fact. It's like, I don't get it. I don't understand that. But God says, trust me, I got this. Jesus wants you with him. Christianity meets the needs of all. Christianity is available to all. Obey the gospel and respond to the invitation, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What a great promise. God bless you as you understand this great truth.